somebody from the soundboard would be like, I can help you find a Bible. Um, and you can also just download one on your phone right now. That's easy. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. It's after the four Gospels, so you'll see like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. It refers to the Acts of the Apostle, so of the Apostles. So the things that the Apostles or like disciples of Jesus did after he went to heaven. So we've mainly been reading out of Ephesians 4, and I might refer to that chapter today, but this is going to be our main, our main text for today. So starting in verse 3, it reads like this. During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come yet for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Do you remember last week we talked about how the people weren't expecting a Messiah who came to save their souls. They expected a Messiah who came to free their nation from Roman rule. And they were like, this is weird. Why aren't you doing what we thought? But he brought freedom in a different way. So Jesus replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. This is what we call the ascension. As they, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? They're like, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I kind of wonder like how much space was there between Jesus like rising up into heaven and the angels coming down. How long did they just stand there like? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so if this were a SpongeBob episode, there would be like that weird guy narrating who goes one week later. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, Everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are, not, are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own la native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the provinces of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, 
visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk, that's all. Isn't this just like God? All of these people were gathered for a specific purpose. They had been in Jerusalem to celebrate a feast, a a religious feast that they gathered in Jerusalem for. They didn't normally just live there. They had traveled quite a ways. And so God's timing in this was absolutely incredible to wait and to send his Holy Spirit at a time when people from all over the world would hear this message and then go out from Jerusalem and be able to spread the message of Jesus to the whole world. It reminds me of something somebody said at the conference I was just at, um, that we've been praying for revival, for Jesus to show himself in the Middle East and in like areas of the world that aren't necessarily safe for us to go to. And God's response has been, here are some refugees. Tell them. Isn't that crazy? Now they can hear. Anyway, coming back. That was, that was just a free thought. Um, you don't have to pay me for that one. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Yeah, it's a little early to be drunk. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Jumping down to verse 38, after Peter had given this rather long sermon that each of them heard in their own language, wild. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then then Peter continued preaching for a long time, which I thought he already did, but it keeps going, strongly urging all his listeners Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And now we're going to read his whole sermon. Just kidding. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 3,000 people. 
added to the church because of the obedience of the apostles. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wow. I'm always amazed at this story because God chooses to release his power, and through that people are saved and the church is built. It's so like God. He promised his people the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he was faithful to fulfill that promise. And that's why we remember Pentecost today. That's what Pentecost is. Because everything changed when the Holy Spirit came in power. We've been in, the, been in this series called Change, where we said that we're people who are changed. We're changed when we meet Jesus. We're people who are changed daily to look like Jesus more and more, given the character of God. We're people who God uses to change the world, to build his kingdom. And I think it's so fitting that this last part, the Holy Spirit changes everything, fell on Pentecost. I think God was up to something because I don't believe in coincidences. Jesus uses us, his people of the world, to change the world by bringing other people to know his great love and power and justice. And he does this by giving us the Holy Spirit to empower us. Today is going to be kind of a non-exhaustive, hear this, non-exhaustive crash course in who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So if I move along kind of quickly and you're confused by something, um, don't be like a junior hire who's like, I need to talk to you right now. No, um, just wait until after. I so there are verses for reference in your notes, and I'm not going to read all the verses, um, but I'm happy to talk more about specific questions later. So before we jump into the Holy Spirit and what he does, I want to tell you a brief story. I grew up going to church in a denomination that is, like, really excited about the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm, like, really excited about the Holy Spirit, but they are in kind of a different way. Um, some would say to the point that it's unhealthy, which you might understand after hearing this story. I was at a tri-district youth conference, so there were multiple districts at this conference for teenagers, and I don't remember anything about the conference except that it was really boring. Now, my dad says that it's a sin to bore people with the gospel, so I'm sorry if I've sinned at all in the past four weeks. <laughs> um, really a missed opportunity. I don't remember. I was just bored. Um, I know I was excited to be there, but it was boring. And the speakers just went on and on, and I could not pay attention. But I did enjoy the worship time, because there's something special that happens when there's like hundreds of people your age who are all worshiping God, especially young people. Uh, I was just appreciating the presence of God and the opportunity to worship our Creator until I saw something out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, what's going on over there? And I looked to the side, and I saw 
that the pastor was going down the front row, like if like if it's packed, everybody is like packed. He's walking down the front row praying for people with his hand outstretched toward their forehead like this. I think I don't think he was on a stage, he was like at ground level. So it would be like if he had his for his hand on my forehead. And the craziest thing was happening. Everyone he prayed for just started falling over, like forwards, backwards, whatever. Sometimes people were catching them. Sometimes people were like, (laughs) I was weirded out, man. Um, I'd never seen it before, but something in my spirit, rewind, I had heard of and seen one or two people slain in the spirit, which is something that happens when you're overcome by the presence of God. But something in my spirit was alarmed by this happening because the person praying for them just seemed like quite smug. And I was like, this is not cool, man. And I was really thankful that he wasn't praying for me. But then I realized that I was in the front row. Like I was like right here and I was going to be... It, it, was, it was coming soon, like five people before me. And I had to figure out a way to get him to not pray for me, but I was so panicked that I didn't have the, like, common sense to just, like, move or, like, walk away or something. And before I knew it, his hand was on my forehead, and he was praying for me. Now, I love to be prayed for. Anytime somebody's like, oh, does anybody have any prayer requests? I'm that person who's like, I have one. Oh, and I have another one. And, like, nobody else gets to talk because everybody just, Here's all of my prayer requests. Um, I, I'm down with prayer. So I just relaxed and like, like okay, like God, maybe you're going to like speak to speak something to me through him. And um, I was thankful that it wasn't weird, but then he started pushing on my forehead, just like trying to push me over. And I was like, oh, heck no. So I like took a power stance and planted my feet. And I was like, I am steady. I am grounded. <laughs> and he starts yelling, release, just release. And pushes a little bit harder on my forehead. And I was like, no. So I like grounded down a little more and like leaned into it. <laughs> Eventually, he moved on. I won. <laughs> I I wish I could go back and ask the Lord what was happening in that situation. Um, for the whole rest of the day, I was disturbed because I had never seen misuse of the Holy Spirit before. And... Um, I'd never seen like quite the attitude or arrogance that this man had, and I couldn't figure out how those things could mesh with the reality of the Holy Spirit, you know? And I definitely had never had someone like push on my forehead and claim that it was the Holy Spirit. So for this reason, I struggled with the concept of the Holy Spirit for a long time. Um, For a while, I decided that I was Um, what they call a cessationist, a person who doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit works in the gifts and in power in this day and time. Um, But 
the Lord graciously placed me in a church with solid teaching around the Holy Spirit and renewed and healed that part of me. So some of you might be like me. You might have witnessed abuse of the Holy Spirit. You might be struggling with like that same representation or some false representation of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works. Or you might come from um, a religious background that says the baptism or empowerment of the Holy Spirit is not for today. Some churches take this stance because of like a specific reading of scripture, but often it's reactionary to similar spiritual abuse, which I understand. As humans, it's easy for us to want to chase or replicate certain experiences. Like if we have a really fantastic meeting with the Lord where he's speaking and moving in a certain way, often we want to just try to replicate that. And so we end up seeking experiences rather than the presence of God. We want it to look a certain way instead of just saying, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do, I'm open to. And I believe that that's where... um, when we, when we try to hype ourselves up or when we try to manufacture a certain experience, that's when we begin to encounter abuse of the Holy Spirit. And so if this has been your tendency in the past, I want to encourage you to just seek God for God, not for an experience. And if you are wary or have been hurt by these false representations of the Holy Spirit, I just want to set your mind at ease. We're going to look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. We're not going to, we don't need to manufacture an experience or try to hype ourselves up because it's not our own power that we want. It's the power of God. We want the power of the Holy Spirit and we want that power in truth, not in a false representation. So in light of this, And in the spirit of seeking truth and in the spirit of wanting God to pour out his Holy Spirit to empower us in truth, um, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we believe that you are the God of truth. We believe that what you say in your word is true. We believe that you want to give us the gift of your Holy Spirit to empower us to be your hands and your feet in the world. God, we repent of our about the Holy Spirit. We repent of the belief that an encounter with the Holy Spirit has to look a certain way, and we repent of trying to manufacture those experiences. God, we repent of the lie that the Holy Spirit is no longer at work in the world, and we repent of how we have stopped up our ears to his voice or stifled his power. And we invite you, Father, to teach us your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we already read um, a description of what happened at Pentecost, and I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to like blaze through the rest of it. Are you with me? Good. Um, We've said that our purpose, in the past couple of weeks, we've said that our purpose as Christians is to glorify God. We said that we do that by being made more like Jesus every day, and we've said that we do that by being God's hands and feet in the world, by um, fulfilling the Great Commission, communicating Jesus' love to other people and calling them to come and follow Jesus, bringing his justice and righteousness where we see injustice. 
And the Holy Spirit is given to followers of Jesus so that we can fulfill our purpose, that purpose of glorifying God. Acts 1.8, you'll remember, it said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's really similar language to the Great Commission. So we can know that the Holy Spirit was given to us to fulfill the command given to us by Jesus. And we also know that Jesus promised to send us the Holy Spirit. We just read, um, as Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, as God has promised, I lost my place, but that's okay. Anyway, he said it somewhere. He said, as promised. And a, a previous portion of the Bible where that was promised is in John 14, verses 15 and 17. It says, wait. I'm pretty sure I just copied. Sorry, I'm just going to turn to it because I think I copied it wrong. Intermission. Oh, it says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. This is God's promise that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. He promised it multiple times. And we know that God is not a God who lies. God is a God who keeps his promises, who's faithful. And the Holy Spirit is God in us and God with us. There's this danger that we think of like, if, if we're not familiar with the doctrine that is the Trinity, we might think of like, okay, God, and then there's like Jesus, and then there's like the Holy Spirit, we kind of tend to break them up, or we don't understand how they interact with each other. The doctrine of the Trinity says that God is three in one. There is one God in three persons. That doesn't mean that like Telona and Annie and I are like three distinct persons who just live our lives differently, but we're like God together aside from, like, the heresy of all that. Like, <laughs> if we think of them as separate persons with, like, physical bodies, we're going to get tripped up. So, to a certain extent, the Trinity is always going to be mysterious to us because we think of persons as having, like, physical bodies. But God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is one God, the three persons, and he manifests himself um, in different ways, but all still God. We can see evidence of the Godhead or the triune God or the Trinity. I like to say the triune God because it sounds funny. In um, Matthew 3, when Jesus is baptized, it says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk, with, tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus, Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, the Holy Spirit, and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved Son, 
who brings me great joy. Actually, I mean, his voice could have sounded like this. This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. We don't know. But we see Jesus. <laughs> I hope you like always picture God's voice like that now. <laughs> so we see Jesus present in his physical body. We see the Holy Spirit manifested as a dove. And we hear God the Father blessing Jesus as his son. Um, so we see this doctrine of the Trinity kind of spelled out for us right there. God is three in one. There, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one in um, authority, one in mind, and they're united. I just lost my place again. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit is God in us. Oh, okay, so. So that's where we see evidence of all three of them at once. And so when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about like a separate God that we pray to. We're talking about God giving us the gift of his presence, the gift of his spirit, the spirit of the living God who lives and speaks today for a couple of different reasons. This is who the Holy Spirit is to us for practical purposes. He's our advocate. He's our helper and our comforter. He's our counselor. That, you know, that still small voice in your head that's like leading you gently. He's the spirit of truth. He is the convictor of sin. When we know in our spirit that we're walking in a way that is contrary to God's will, or when we're in prayer and the Holy Spirit convicts us of an attitude or, or action or word, that was outside of um, who God wants us to be as his people, that's the Holy Spirit who prompts us in that way. The Holy Spirit gives us the character of God. Uh, when I was a kid, I memorized Galatians 5, and 23 in song, and I would love to perform that for you now, but I'm not going to. <laughs> The Holy Spirit gives us the character of God. It's part of that process of discipleship that we talked about last week. He gives us his love, his joy, his peace, his patience. You can fill the rest in or you can read it yourself in Galatians. He gives us the character of God. He also gives us gifts because he's a good God. And he says in, uh, Jesus says in Luke that if us sinful people know how to good give good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is both a gift to us and the gift giver. And he's much more than this. He's so much more than this. The amazing thing is that the Holy Spirit is available to all believers. There's no, like, junior Holy Spirit or, like, when you reach this milestone, then you can ask God for the Holy Spirit. Or like when you're like 60% holy, you can ask God for the Holy Spirit. There's like none of that. The Holy Spirit is available to all believers. And so Foursquare is um, what we call a charismatic or Pentecostal denomination. And so that means that our doctrine says that there are two instances um, or I guess two experiences with the Holy Spirit that happens in the life of a believer. 
So when we commit our lives to Jesus, we have what is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I've heard it described as a pilot light. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in us, during which he is our helper and our comforter and our advocate and the convictor of sin. And we see evidence of this in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, now you Gentiles, y'all are Gentiles unless someone's secretly, I don't know, practicing Judaism and I don't know. Um, You've also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. It's like a deposit. It calls it a guarantee of our salvation, the Holy Spirit living inside us. And the second experience with the Holy Spirit that believers um, experience, experience, it's me, it's me, words. Um, (laughs) The second encounter that we have with the Holy Spirit is the empowerment or the baptism or um, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us, power to fulfill our purpose, to glorify God. Sometimes there's some debate about whether there is a second filling of the Holy Spirit or or not, but we can look at the Bible, and I think we have sufficient evidence to see that there is both the initial indwelling and the second event of the baptism or fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Acts 19 gives us one such example. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? believed?" He asked them. Nope, they replied. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. They don't know what he's talking about. And they replied, oh, no. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. So they had experienced water baptism and repentance. And Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. So these men had um, not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when they were prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit, The Spirit manifested himself in power. I'm going to ask Dylan to come up and um, play for us as we're going to be nearing our worship time, which you'll notice we've, like, moved to the end of the service, but there's a plan, trust me. I wanted to mention um, that previous experience when I was a teenager earlier because I wanted to make the point that the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is not based on feelings. It doesn't have to look like a certain way. We already read Luke 11 that says, it's given to anyone who asks. Like, if you ask me for a fish, I'm not going to give you a snake. That would be gross. Uh, Just as fathers and mothers give good gifts to their children, so God gives the Holy Spirit as a good gift to us. 
And I just want to tell you a couple of stories about um, how the Holy Spirit has worked in my life and life around me because we asked and believed. When I was a teenager, I was like 15. Okay, rewind. When I was 10, I messed up my shoulder on a roller coaster and the pain got to a point where I like couldn't lift my arm very much. And for some reason, I was a weird kid and didn't tell my parents that it was that bad. <laughs> I don't know, kids are weird. So I couldn't like lift it above this. I could still carry stuff and stuff like that. And I was in a church service similar to this one. And um, my dad, who was a pastor, asked if anybody wanted to pray for healing. And I wanted to, but he like didn't see me raising my hand and asked me to come pray with someone, like pray for them to be healed. And I was like, okay, because I was down with that. But I was kind of sad. <laughs> and I was actually a little bit mad too. And I went to my seat and I sat down and I was like, God, I'm so angry. I wanted to be healed. Why don't you heal me? Will you heal me? And by the end of the service, I stood up and like lifted up my purse and my shoulder was fine. Like I could lift it like move it all around and God just chose to heal my shoulder because I asked because he's a good father and I had a friend who um, was traveling in India and her and her friends went to this one village to preach the truth of Jesus to them but they were chased out of the village because the villagers had heard that they were preaching Jesus and they didn't want them in there. In fact, a shaman came and like made threats on their lives. And the police came and they ended up leaving before the police arrived because they were scared. But there was a man that they passed without feet. He was just born without feet. Um, on, his, on their way out of town, they passed a man who was born without feet. And they asked if they could pray for him. And he said yes, and he let them pray for him. And they were debating whether they were going to return to this village or not. And they felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting them to return to this village. And so they said, okay, God, we believe that you want to do good things. And we believe that you're going to protect us. So they returned to the village, fearing for their lives, but trusting that God had good plans. And what they saw when they were still a ways down the road was a man running out to meet them. And they were like, why is he, is this going to be really bad for us right now? We don't know. And as he got closer, they realized that it was the man yesterday, the day before, who they had prayed for. And he had feet, normal feet. And because of that, they were able to enter the village. In fact, they were invited to the village. The man had been like on the lookout and was running to bring them in and show the people of the village who had prayed for them and they were able to preach the gospel. And I don't know how many people were added to the church that day. Probably wasn't 3,000, but it was some. When the Holy Spirit chooses to give the gift of healing, it's powerful. It's a good gift. There was healing again when Peter and John were going to the temple. Sometimes, the Holy Spirit's promptings look different. Um, as I was traveling in Washington, D.C. this week, I asked the Holy Spirit just to give me opportunities to introduce people to Jesus. 
whether that was something huge or something small. And I was waiting for a friend to meet me in front of the National Portrait Gallery, and she was late. In fact, she never showed up. <laughs> we had a miscommunication. But while I was waiting, um, there was a person standing in front of the building. And have you ever seen like a Greenpeace person? how they'll have like a clipboard and they'll try to like sign people up for whatever they're that is. It wasn't Greenpeace, it was a different organization. Um, it was a an organization that advocates for LGBT rights. And um, I, I was talking to him, he, was, he wasn't Greenpeace like, ah, he just in the way that he was like advertising, he was just there. So he had an iPad and he was calmly greeting everyone and if they wanted to stop and talk to him, he talked to them. Um, he wasn't in your face or rude about it. He was quite a nice person. I enjoyed him. Christian is his name. Um, I stopped and talked to him, and I listened to his, listened to, um, his presentation, and um, I put my name on their like mailing list so I could just know what was going on. Um, and I continued talking to him the whole time that I was waiting for my friend who never showed up. But it was super cool because another person came and joined him and they were just talking about how in the state of our country, uh, not, met, not many states provide rights as like normal human rights to just a person, like to have a job and to like go to school or things like that. And the Holy Spirit just prompted my heart to communicate the love of Jesus to this person by saying, hey, I know not everybody accepts you as like a person. Like, because they disagree with your actions, it's been communicated as hatred for you as a person. And I just want you to know that Jesus says that his heart is for you and he loves you. And not every person who calls himself a Christian chooses to act out their beliefs that your lifestyle is sinful as a hate towards you. And they were like, what? Who are you? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm sorry um, if this is overstepping my bounds. But Jesus wants you to know that he doesn't hate who you are because he made you and he loves you. And I had the opportunity to pray with Christian and Sophie, and I hope you'll pray for them with me. But I believe it was the first time that they had ever encountered a Christian from that standpoint. That may be quite a political statement for you, um, but I hope you'll like see through whatever content that you may or may not agree with to the truth that Jesus wanted to communicate his love and his value to this person. And I'm, I'm very honored that the Holy Spirit would want to communicate his love to that person through me. I was looking, I, my friend hadn't showed up and I was just like, okay, Holy Spirit, whatever you wanna do. And so I'm hoping that just as Alexandria shared with us last week about praying for the random woman's knee at the gas station, I pray that as the Holy Spirit pours himself out on us, we will have hearts that want to communicate God's love to other people. Because no matter who the person is, the Holy Spirit wants to draw them to himself with the love of Jesus. When Jesus was on earth, he showed evidence of his power every day. 
Matthew 11 says that the blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And Jesus also said that we would do even greater things than what he did on earth. And so all those who are far from God would come to know his love. Those who think they are hated will come to know the love of God. And Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit when we ask him. He's faithful to fulfill his promises. Do you believe that? We're going to take communion this morning, but we're going to do that differently than we normally do. You see there's tables kind of spread out on the back space and on the sides. Um, these are for groups of like 5 to 10 or, or whatever really group size you want. Um, as in, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to break into groups at those tables, and you can go to whatever table you want. But we're going to take communion at those tables, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us freshly with his power. And then we're going to spend the rest of the service in prayer and in worship, that might mean you're filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. Or the Holy Spirit might want to fill you in a new way today. You might be given a gift like we talked about. You might be given a word of wisdom or knowledge for the church or for someone else. You might receive the gift of tongues. You might receive the gift of healing either for your own body or for someone else's body. There's no expectation for this time other than just making space for what God wants to do. So after communion, after you take communion in your groups, you're just going to spend time with your group and ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you freshly, whether that's for the first time or whether it's again. And we're just going to listen to God and just do what he prompts us to do. Talk to who he wants us to talk to. Pray for each other as he leads us. Our whole worship set is at the end today. You'll notice, but I'm sure you already noticed. Um, so you can spend as much time praying and talking to God and listening as you would like, or you're welcome to move on to worship early. This is purposefully unstructured to make space for God. And so as you're taking communion, God might be prompting your heart to fully surrender to him and what he wants to do in you this morning. I encourage you to take that time to remember Christ's sacrifice and to say yes. Like whatever you're leading me to do, God, that's what I'm going to do. So let's pray. Father God, Jesus, our Savior, Holy Spirit of the living God, we welcome you this morning. We welcome you to come in power. We welcome you to come with wind and tongues of fire. We welcome you to come however you want, and we welcome you to do whatever you want, and we are grateful for your presence with us this morning. So on this day of Pentecost, we say, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, and fill us with your power so we can communicate your love to the world. Jesus. Let's move to whatever communion table we choose at this time.